0: Thank you for downloading this episode of The MacReport Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Uh, Not many games last weekend since the last time, Ian, you and I have talked, which is one basketball game since the last time we recorded. Uh, Merrimack beat St. Francis last Thursday on senior night. Uh, But still, uh, several developments, even though men's basketball and men's hockey haven't necessarily uh, been on the ice and on the floor themselves. uh, The people around them in the standings have been playing games, which makes their playoff picture a a little bit more clear here uh, as we enter the final weekend of the regular season for basketball, in the second to last weekend of the regular season for hockey.
1: Yeah, um, only one basketball game on the uh, on the schedule last week. I actually got to take that one in as a fan. Um, that was that was unusual. That was a bit of a change up for me, but not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, I think the big story is that you know, despite the lack of action here, there are things. Still going on, and things going on in the respective conferences, whether it be Hockey East or the Northeast Conference. Um, the last, you know, two weeks of the regular season for both teams, you know, combined here, uh, are going to be very, very interesting. Uh, Merrimack for basketball now sits twelve and two, atop of the Northeast, still atop top of the Northeast. They got a nine-game winning streak. Um, I think more impressively, Mike, they are eleven and one at home this season. Um, And that one loss was the Wagner game in which, you know, maybe you don't come out a little slow in the first half of that Wagner game. You're looking at a 13 and one team heading into the final weekend of the regular season. Uh, We talked before the season got going and, you know, before the regular season got going, we kind of said, you know, if you go 12 and four, that's a pretty good year. And you like, you like your spot and where you're sitting at the end of the regular slate. Well, here they are. They've got 12 wins and they got a chance to pick up two more before the uh, regular season comes to a close, but albeit both are on the road, FDU and Sacred Heart this weekend, and both of those teams are still fighting for uh respectively third and fourth place in potentially to stay out of fifth place and having to go on the road in the first round.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's where, you know, you talked about their home record. That's where obviously finishing number 1 in, in the NEC is so important. Not only does it Get you a regular season conference championship, uh, but it also guarantees that you are going to play at home throughout the course of the tournament, including hosting the championship game. Uh, they can't finish any lower than second, so we know that they will host uh, through the semifinals, assuming they make it that far, uh, at the very least, because they can't finish any any they can't finish below second place. Uh, the magic number is two, meaning they need with two games to play any combination of two wins or. two uh, or two, or two Central Connecticut losses. So they they do control their own destiny for first place. If they win out, they will finish in first because they're one game ahead of Central Connecticut right now. Central Connecticut can't Central Connecticut can't catch them if they win their last two games and finish fourteen and two. So they do control their own destiny there. The magic numbers too. Even if they go one and one, all they need is Central Connecticut yeah. to go one and one and they clinch it. And, and Central Connecticut, by the way, sticking around. They won over the weekend. Uh, they also. Last Thursday, when Merrimack was playing St. Francis, that magic number was almost one because Wagner had like a 20-point lead at one point in that game in the first half and came back and yeah. won by one, 73-72. Uh, Central Connecticut came back and won that game. Uh, so that, that kind of kept them alive. If, if not, they're looking at a scenario right now where uh, all Merrimack, would, you know, if, if Central Connecticut lost one more game, Merrimack would clinch that that top spot. So Central kept themselves alive by coming back in... in surviving an early deficit against Wagner. Uh the probability, the percentages are still obviously very much in Merrimack's favor. Like I said, they control their own destiny. They win these last two games. There's nothing Central Connecticut can do. Uh but, you know, the Warriors are they, they do need to hit that magic number. You know, if if they go uh one and one down the stretch here and Central Connecticut goes two and oh, uh that could that's a scenario where they could jump them depending upon the tiebreakers and who finishes yeah, third.
1: You're, you're- you're looking at tiebreakers at that point and it all yeah it all, like you were saying it all depends on who finishes third exactly
0: um, and, and that's where it gets a little tricky because FDU can finish third and that's a school that Central i believe is 2 and 0 oh against FDU Merrimack in order for this scenario to play out could end up being uh 1 and 1 against FDU so uh head to head Merrimack and Central are both 1 and 1 so that's the first tiebreaker the second tiebreaker then goes to you know, your record against a first-place team, record against a second-place team, uh, obviously in a first-place tie, it would be their record against a third-place team that would break that. And there is the potential there that Central could be 2-0 and oh against third-place team and Merrimack could be 1-1 one and one against a third-place team. Uh, and, and even Wagner, I think, at 7-7 seven and seven could still technically... Wagner and LeMoyne. Yeah. LeMoyne,
1: too. LeMoyne is the big one to keep an eye on because if they somehow find a way to get up into that third spot and Merrimack and Central Connecticut are both sitting in a tie for first place at the end of the regular season, if LeMoyne is sitting in third, Merrimack would win the tiebreaker in that instance because Merrimack is 2-0 and against LeMoyne this year, and Central Connecticut is 0-2 against the Dolphins.
0: So assuming, uh, basically, to, to boil it down, like Merrimack wants a team that they're 2-0 and against to finish in third place if there's going to be a scenario where it's tied. That's really the, the simplest way to put it. So uh, it's hard right now to look at. All we can say right now for sure is they don't want Wagner to be third because they're one and one against Wagner. So uh, Wagner and Central, is right now, the only two teams that have beaten them. So if Sacred Heart or FDU gets a win here over these last two games and you're looking at a potential tiebreaker scenario, you're hoping that Wagner or whichever team beats them this coming weekend stays out of that third place spot, and then they should be fine. Uh, of course, though, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, I think there are scenarios where uh, they could each be two and zero. Like like you said, if Lemoyne ends up in third, uh, I'd have to go back and see what Central's record is against Lemoyne. I think they're both two and zero against Lemoyne, so then it would go to the record against the fourth place team. So th- that's where the tiebreakers get a little tricky. Um, basically, if from Merrimack standpoint, the magic number two. You wow. win your your last two games, none of this even matters. <laughs> uh, but you know, if if they don't win their last two games, that's when a lot of these tiebreakers could come into play. And for a team that, like you said, has only got one loss at home, and uh, I think a lot of those games, if not all of them, would be played inside Lawler Arena. They haven't lost a game at Lawler, I think, since last year. Uh, you're looking at a team that definitely. Wants to play at home, and if I think it's a big advantage. I think it was a big advantage last year, and, and played a big role in why they won the NEC championship a year ago. Was having all those games at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time in most most any sport. I think maybe the one sport you can make an argument for home field not really mattering all that much might be baseball, um, and then hockey is kind of right behind that too, right? Especially in single elimination games and most college tournament styles, how they do it in the postseason, Uh, like we see in hockey East as well. I mean, that kind of whole one and done style gives a whole different attitude to it. And I think that those are kind of the two sports where you don't see home court becoming a, a big advantage, but the way Lawler has been for this team since they started playing games in there, you know, now almost two whole seasons ago against Lehigh in that first one back in November of the 22 season, um, it's become a big thing for them. They get a bigger crowd than they would obviously over at Hamill where, you know, the seating capacity on both bleachers, maybe, maybe bundles up, you know, 800 total. And you got standing room for what they can allow. And now it's probably even less because more games are on television and on bigger networks and things like that. So they need camera crews to have access up and down the baselines. So you're losing space there. And plus you get the dance crew and the cheer crews that come in now. So, you know, when you're talking about going from an eight hundred seat arena or court gymnasium to what Lawler is and you know, it's a great little spot and it's benefited this team. They they found ways to win. They know they know what it takes and and that's a big thing in basketball when you when you can have your crowd behind you and you don't have to go into somebody else's gym and try and overcome an atmosphere that, you know, even for as small of a conference as the Northeast Conference can be at times Uh, with some of the other programs you know there are still big-time game atmosphere especially in postseason
0: play yeah and it's different too i mean it's probably a little bit different because we're talking about central connecticut here so if 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 in a worst case scenario they had to travel let's say for the nec championship game central connecticut's not more than two and a half three hours away Uh, i i think it was a big advantage last year with fdu i mean that's a long travel day to the point where it's not it's not taxing on the players' bodies necessarily because we're talking about younger guys, but it does play a role I think in preparation. You know, one team's at home with no travel to do and stays on a regular practice schedule. The other team, in FDU's case, uh, you know, has to bus to Merrimack. That's that's a long trip, several hours in the bus. Uh, it just—it doesn't—it's not really a—a a tip. Doesn't create a typical week, especially when that NEC championship game I think is on a Tuesday, and the Tuesday. semifinals are on Saturday. So you're yeah. finding out, you know, okay, you win the game on Saturday, you're finding out that you're probably going to travel Monday, which means now you kind of have to go decently hard in practice on sunday when maybe sunday's a lighter day because of the travel it, it, it creates a whole thing with with that that travel i think it helped them last year it, it did not create a regular week for fdu you know it, it forced along it's it's different with central i think because it's a three hour you know three hour trip instead of a you know five six seven hour trip whatever whatever fdu is um but it, it's it does help i think a little bit that Central Connecticut, if Merrimack had to go on the road there, it's three hours of bus, right? So they, they, even if they were to travel on Monday uh, for that game on Tuesday, you can still practice at home on Monday and, and eat dinner at, on Monday night, you know, on campus and and leave if you wanted to at 7 o'clock and get down to, to Central Connecticut and down to your hotel somewhere around 10 p.m. And guys still get mm-hmm. a regular night's sleep, but it's not as disruptive as as a longer trip necessarily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I do think it's a a good point here in reading the uh, Northeast Conference uh, weekly write-up. They talked about just some of the numbers that Merrimack's been putting together here, especially in the month of February. Um, They Obviously, they have the nine-game winning streak. That's third longest in the nation behind Southern Florida and St. Mary's, and both of those teams are in their respective conferences, sitting atop first place. In both the West Coast Conference, Saint Mary's is fourteen and zero, and USF atop the American is thirteen and one. Wow. So there you go. Those are those are impressive numbers. Those are some of the other teams that um, you're kind of sitting up there with. And over the last five years, just to kind of again stress the emphasis and just how how much work and dedication this staff puts into each and every game, and they know how important the month of February can be to set you up for a better march, especially now that you can have a good march and make the big dance. Um, Merrimack in the five years in the NEC is 31-9 and in the month of February. 31-9. and (laughs) They've played 40 games in the month of February through the last five years up to this point. They'll have one more on Thursday. Because, again, this year there's a leap year, so it's an extra day in the month, so you get that extra game in, so you have a chance to pick up your 32nd win in the month of February. And, you know, again, set yourself up for a great weekend, potentially, you know, depending on that outcome of that Central Connecticut game on Thursday night.
0: And how about this, too? We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, still uh, There's projection models out there that still have them projected as a potential 15 seed instead of a 16 seed. Now, obviously, that's going to require them to win their last two games. Um, I, I, you know, that's a, a big part of it. Obviously, uh, right now, if you look at just overall probability, and of course, they have to win the NEC in order to get in. So, these numbers uh, are, are the percentage chance that they have to win the NEC tournament. Uh, it gives them a forty percent chance of qualifying for the tournament. That's the the highest percentage in the NEC. It's not over fifty percent because. You know, Central Connecticut is, I don't know, I don't have all the percentages in front of me, but Central Connecticut uh, is there's a probability they could win, there's probably Sacred Heart could win. Uh, Merrimack has the is, is the favorite at 40%. So there's a 40% chance that they qualify. Uh, according to the simulations right now, that 40% breaks down like this: 10% chance they're a 16 seed, 27% chance that they're a 15 seed, three percent chance that they're a 14 seed. Uh, and a 1% chance that they ended up as a 13 seed. I don't know what that 1% is, or less than 1%, excuse me. Um, obviously, that that's a reach. Even the 14's a reach. I don't think a 15 seed is a reach. I know if you read a lot of the national bracketology articles that have been out over the last week, a couple more came out today and yesterday. Uh, they all have Merrimack playing in the play-in game in Dayton uh, in the first four. I think, honestly, I don't think people... Are looking at the net rankings. I think a lot of some of these people are just under the assumption that the NEC champion is going to play in that first four because they kind of always do. But right now, I mean, there's a strong, strong likelihood, even if they ended up as a 16, that they end up as one of the top two 16 seeds, which would still avoid the play-in game in Dayton I don't know how the how the math is going to work itself out once we get there even if Merrimack wins out they could still end up with the play-in game because a lot of things can happen you're talking about 300 something teams it's not like hockey it's a lot harder to predict because there's the potential for upsets or not or no potential for no upsets and what is the net rate the whole big thing can happen but at least right now the numbers look as though that they have a very good chance Not a not a definite chance, but a very good chance of avoiding that first four, which like I said last week, if they win the NEC, even if you're in the first four in Dayton, you're in the tournament, it still counts. But I said it a week ago, you really want to play on Thursday or Friday, like on CBS or True TV or something like that. That's when you want to play. You know, no offense to to the fine people at Dayton. You don't want to be playing in those first four games in Dayton. It doesn't really feel (laughs) as doesn't really feel as real as playing on Thursday or
1: Friday. Yeah, no. Like you said, no offense to the the fine folks of the the Dayton Flyers, but you know, you want to get to the Thursday. You want to be, you know, the twelve o'clock game on a on a Thursday or a Friday, or you want to yeah. be the you know six o'clock game on a Friday night. You know, playing a one seed, you're gonna get more eyes on your program. You're gonna get more eyes on the on those games naturally, anyways. You know, and. No offense to all the people that put out these projections and everything like that when it comes to the field of 64 because, I, you know, I, I know what you do outside of here. You do some of that work for hockey, but like you mentioned, it's a lot tougher to predict the basketball side of things. And Well, and with and in would, basketball, it, now there's it,
0: committees. With hockey, it's real simple because you get the pair-wise and they don't vary yes, from it. So, it, exactly. you know, if you know the formula, and we do, you can look at it and know exactly what everybody's seating is. You know, that's not yeah. a mystery, whereas with basketball, it can be.
1: Yeah, and... You know, just a little bit further on on my point is nowadays it seems like anybody with a smartphone and and a computer in front of them could, you know, tell you, you know, their best projections or their best predictions for what they think is going to happen on social media, whether it be TikTok or YouTube or somebody can, you know, put up a little blog. Okay, well I've looked at this number and this number. So based on, you know, the last X amount of years, whether it be 10, 15, 20, 40 years, whatever, this team should be in based off of what we've seen in the past. Where, like you mentioned, upsets happen, crazy things happen in March. That's why they call it madness in you have to wait till everybody sits down and and gathers around. Okay, well, this is what I think this team should be in. This team shouldn't. That's why we have first four in, last four out, everything
0: like that. Yeah, and that's where like somebody was asking me last week. Okay, let's say Merrimack wins the NEC. Now the the fun part of this is the NEC is one of the first championships to be decided. So you know early on in the week if they win and they're in or whether they're not. So somebody said to me earlier, uh, sending me at the, after the game last Thursday. Hey, what do we like? Let's say sake of argument they go ahead they win the NEC tournament um you know with that which is roughly what two weeks from tonight they'd be cutting down the nets potentially uh I think I think it's that Tuesday so I think it'd be yep, roughly it'd be two weeks nice, from tonight. Yep. As we record weeks. this. Um you know what what would they need at that point to avoid the playing games. And the simplest way to put it is they need teams from below them they need teams below them in the net rankings to also qualify, which means they need they need teams below them in the NCAA net rankings to win their conference tournaments too, uh, which is possible because you know Merrimack is roughly going to be. I mean, they're in the top 200 right now, so there's going to be there's 160 teams below them in the rankings. All they need is six teams below them to fit to to win their their auto bids in order to get in and like the NEC, there's a bunch of conferences out there right now where every team in the conference is below Merrimack in the net ranking. So uh, there's going to be some of those that are automatics because every team's below Merrimack right now anyway, and especially as you go through these conference tournaments, there's going to be some of these games that you look at towards the end where you could watch you know, I'm trying to, you know, who who knows what the league could be, right? But you could be a Merrimack fan going, man, I got to watch the big sky championship game tonight (laughs) because if idaho state wins and they're below merrimack in the net rankings it could mean that merrimack avoids the play-in game but if eastern washington wins uh you know now you know we're probably going to dayton yeah there's gonna be scenarios like that where you could probably look at it with some of these obscure conferences that that people out here have never paid attention to and those games can mean a lot
1: yeah, well, just, a, just an idea here. I I pulled up the net rankings here. So Merrimack sits at 200 even. They've moved up since last week. Last week or whenever the last time these were published, they moved up from 202 to 200. So they're at 200 even. Just to give you an idea of some of the teams that are below them, Rhode Island in the Atlantic 10, um, Columbia in the Ivy League, Louisville in the ACC, New Hampshire in the America East. Um, obviously, that road would require going through Vermont, who pretty much has that confidence all locked up, but, you know, again, things happen. Um, I'm just trying to find some of the other bigger names. Maine, again, in the American East, another one right there. Um, Temple in the AAC. Uh, North Dakota in the Summit League. I mean, the list goes on and on. We could we could sit here and look at this all night long. Lehigh in the Patriot League. Um, so there are teams that, you know, people know of on Merrimack's schedule that they played them this year or in the years past, whatever, that again, they fall below them in the rankings. So if those teams pull off upsets and end up going on to win their conference, that helps them.
0: Yeah, I mean Lehigh right now is tied for third of the Patriots. That's Perfect what I mean. Example, right? there you go, right there. They Lehigh could goes certainly on a win bit that of a run.
1: Yeah, they go on a run. They get hot at the right time. All of a sudden, look at Bingo Patriot League champion Lehigh. That's another team below Merrimack in the rankings that you know now is a conference champion. So they're automatically in the tournament. But as long as they still fall below Merrimack, Merrimack will get just a little bit of a higher rating, and that potentially is the difference. You know whether it's fractions of a point or a whole points from playing in that sixteen, you know, first four game, or being a sixteen seed and avoiding the playing game altogether, or being a fifteen seed, like we've talked about. Yeah,
0: so we don't know. I mean, like I said, they could still end up in Dayton too. That that's obviously a, a very real possibility. It's just that it's not automatic. You in look usually with the NEC champion. It's automatic. They're going to play in the first four because they're going to be one, two of the, they're going to be one of the four lowest sixteen rank seeds, or one of the four lowest overall seeds in the tournament. Uh, that would be. The the two 16-seed play-in games are the four lowest overall seeds in the tournament. Usually the NEC champion is one of those schools. Traditionally, that has always been the case. FDU, like you said, was in that game a year ago. Uh, It's just you you look year over year. There's been years where the NEC champion has avoided it. But in most years, the NEC champion is one of those four teams because the NEC is one of the smallest, uh, relatively speaking, from a non-conference standpoint, one of the weakest teams and one of the weakest leagues in the country. Merrimack won't be having that problem next year when they move up to the MAC, of course. But for now, you know it is what it is. Uh, yeah. So that will be that will be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. Now, I think obviously for them to avoid a playing game and to stay high enough in the net rankings, winning out is critical. Not not just winning. They they've got to win out in the, once we get in the tournament. It's not double elimination, single elimination tournament. You got to win every single one of your games there. So they're going to have to go three and zero in the NEC tournament. Uh, and then realistically for them to avoid a play in game, probably got to go two and zero this weekend too, uh, because a loss, even though that they're two of the higher ranked teams in the NEC, a loss to sacred heart or a loss to FDU. Uh, you know, you, you throw that on their record. It, it's going to drop them in those net rankings. I would assume, uh, I don't know how far, but I think, you know, that would obviously hurt their chances towards avoiding a play in game. So it, it it, it sounds really what, what do they have to do to avoid a playing game or oh, win all their games? Oh, okay. Uh, it's easier said than done, right? And it doesn't take a genius to, to predict that, but that's probably what has to happen. They probably got to go five and oh, uh, and, and win out in order to really lock it down. I think if they go four and one, obviously three of those wins are in the tournament and one of those losses comes this weekend on the road, maybe depending upon what happens, they're still alive to avoid a playing game. Uh, they've got a much, much better chance of doing so, though, obviously, if they were to go 5-0. and up.
1: Yeah, the better your record, the better your seating is going to be. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the schedule, FDU and Sigurd this weekend. I, I It should be brought up as well for um, Central Connecticut. This weekend, they have LIU and Stonehill. So they do have a little bit, you know, based off of, Standings and and kind of what we've seen from some of the teams, they would they would have an easier uh, an easier road this weekend um, than Merrimack would or is projected to maybe have having to go on the road and play, you know, the third and fourth place teams for the final two games of the regular season.
0: Looking way ahead uh, for people that may wonder, like, hey, what does their season look like compared to the teams in the MAC this year? Where like where would they kind of fall? They were in the MAC this year, Uh, not. Far behind, at least according to Ken Palm, which is a website that's been around forever. Ken Pomeroy has ranked college ho- college basketball teams for decades. Uh, he he's his rankings are all mathematically computed. Uh, they're not you know there's no polls here. It's it's all statistically based, uh, and it compares every team kind of like the net rankings from one to three sixty four in the country. Uh, it's similar. In model to the to the net rankings that the NCAA uses, like you said, the net rankings have Merrimack at 200. Uh, the Ken Palm rankings have them at 202. That would put them in second place in the MAC right now. That has them as the second best team in the MAC. Uh, Fairfield at uh, 18 and 10 overall. They're 170 uh, in Ken Palm's rankings. Quinnipiac is currently second in that league. They're 205. So Merrimack just ahead of Quinnipiac uh, in, in the Ken Palm rankings in terms of teams in the MAC. So even you know looking at how does this How does this year's performance project to the, to the Mac next year? Still pretty good. Like still a top two team, Uh, you, you know, from a ranking standpoint, a top two team, clearly a top three team in the Mac. That's what this team would be if it was in the Mac this year, which I think is promising looking ahead. When you look at just the number of younger guys that are on this roster, obviously if they can survive the transfer portal, uh, they should be in good shape going into the MAC next year to to contend as one of the top teams in that conference. And again, that's looking way ahead, uh, but still, it's worth noting.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Always, you know, at least, you know, it's going to keep your your mindset and your positivity. You know, on the uh, upright side of things, when when you're looking ahead, things like that, things can change, obviously. But you know, just again, talking about how young this team is you know another year under their belt next year it's only going to you know you would think help them mature and develop more as players on and off the court.
0: And of course like preseason polls don't necessarily mean anything. Uh, but that Fairfield team no. is is loaded with a lot of seniors. Uh Quinnipiac's team is got a couple of seniors but they are on the younger side. Doug Young's a junior. Uh they've got a sophomore Amari Tyson there too that that's been a big time player for them. So I would think I mean if you're kind of looking at it from a preseason poll standpoint next year, and you look at the number of younger guys that Merrimack has in their starting five and just in their rotation overall, you probably think that Merrimack preseason is two or three in the MAC next year. That's where they should be. I don't think that's where they will be because coaches are going to bump them down just because they're the new guy. But, you know, I think the coaches poll may have them lower. If you're someone like us that's looking at it, you know, a little more analytically, they're probably two or three in the MAC going in the going into next year, and again, that assumes that they return everybody. You also add Malik and Mead into the fold as well, which is certainly going to help. And but that we're getting way ahead of ourselves talking about next year. There's still a lot to do uh, with this year, and we'll you know the big one starts uh, starts this weekend. If they can get a couple of wins this weekend and close out with two wins, they put themselves in really good shape going into the tournament. And then, of course, like we said before, uh, so just so that everybody understands the way that it works, they have to win the NEC tournament in order to make the NCAAs. One loss in the NEC tournament, and that will be it uh, because they will not qualify as an at-large, which is not a big surprise um, considering, you know, where they're coming from in the NEC. So they do have to win. They do have to win uh, the NEC tournament, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> but that's, again, yeah, to bring it all the way back to what we said at the very top of the show, why being a home team throughout and getting that number one seed is so important because they've been so yeah. good at home.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Home home ice, home court, home field, whatever, it all means something. And uh it it starts this weekend. You can you you can take care of the business you have in front of you, you know, focus on FDU on Thursday, you know, go in there and handle business and see where the dominoes fall. And who knows? Maybe things are wrapped up on Thursday and that came on Saturday, all of a sudden becomes an all and void because Central Connecticut fell on Thursday. But, and, yeah. you know, just take care of what you can on Thursday night and let the dominoes fall they MA.
0: Uh, men's hockey, they've got still a chance at home ice. They got some help this weekend. Uh, Northeastern pulled away a little bit with a win there up to 26 points. Uh, Merrimack can still catch them technically, but I don't even think we're going to talk about Northeastern anymore. Uh, it's basically down to Vermont, Yukon, and Merrimack for the last home ice spot. Merrimack still way on the outside looking in. Uh, Vermont and Connecticut are tied at 23 points apiece. Uh, they're sitting there currently tied for eighth. Uh, Merrimack five points behind with 18 points. Uh, so still plenty of work to do. Vermont also has a game in hand. UConn and Merrimack have both played 21 games. Uh, Vermont's sitting there at 20. So uh, still a lot of work to do. Still highly unlikely that they end up with a home ice spot just based on the on the mathematics of it all. Uh, but did get some help by uh, UConn and Vermont remaining winless over the weekend. It, it keeps them alive going into this weekend. And then, of course, they play earlier than all those teams, so if they're able to go down and get a win over Providence on Thursday, uh, now they're two points back going into the games on Friday. So they're in contention. <laughs> uh, as long of a shot as it may seem, it's not mathematically done yet. Uh but the the way the, the weirdness of it all in is that they could also go three and to end the year. And still end up in last because (laughs) uh, UMass Lowell has a game in hand. So if Lowell wins out, they would jump Merrimack in the standings. And if Vermont, Connecticut, and Lowell and Merrimack, if those bottom four teams all go undefeated the rest of the year, Merrimack ends up in 11th place. So they could still win out and finish as high as 8th, or they could win out and finish as low as 11th, which is kind of crazy. But that's just the way that the year has gone.
1: Yeah, it's just, again, a microcosm of things and how they've transpired. Um, you know, they get the game Thursday night at Providence. Uh, you have a chance to come out and, you know, put a little bit of pressure on both UConn and Vermont ahead of you in the standings to come out and perform well. I mean, Vermont's going to host Maine for a pair, and UConn has a home-and-home home with Northeastern. So you, you could, again, get a little bit of help this weekend if you can come out and take care of... You know, picking up a, f- a f- few points here, or, you know, even combining it and, you know, call me crazy. But if you pick up a sweep this weekend, you know, that, that game that next week against Boston College, and which that game might potentially also mean a lot for them in the standings wise because they, uh, they got BU clipping right on their heels. Um, so there's only one point separating BC and BU, so that game next weekend could mean a lot too for Boston College if they want the outright regular season title, uh, keeping it off of the other end of Cam Ave. Um, but yeah, it, it just you spoke about it. They could go three and zero, get some help, and you know finish as high as eighth, or they could also go three and zero and finish in dead last. You know, so that kind of just shows you the way that the seasons shake uh, shaken out. Um, that's also not to say that they can't turn around and. Get a better matchup, you know, if they have to go on the road in that 9 8 matchup and all of a sudden you're looking at going down to UConn, that's not as bad of a trip as, you know, potentially having to go up to Maine if, if you get through things or, you know, things fall differently. Um, but there's still a chance. I think that's a big thing to look at. So Thursday night, you, you got to go out and just play their best game as you can, follow up with, you know, what was a bad performance on, Saturday a couple weekends ago in Burlington and what out a better performance than that and see where it falls
0: against Providence. Yeah, I think even finishing nine is is important because, like you said, it avoids BC and BU in that second round. BC and BU were wagons. If you're just looking at it from a standpoint of how, what's their best bet of getting back to the Garden? like At this point, if they made it back to the Garden, I think you would feel like the end of the season was a giant success considering the way the year has gone. So What's the the best path for them to get back to the Garden? Well, it's avoiding BC or BU in the second round because they're going to have to win two games to get there. Uh, right now, I mean, if they can finish nine and let's say Maine ends up as the third seed, is it going to be easy going to Maine? No. But is it easier than going to BC or BU? Yeah, by a lot, Like especially with the way Maine's also, played so far it, it, over the last also month. Also, just
1: at the same time, that would also require, you know, Whoever finishes in tenth and eleventh going on the road in the quarterfinal round and playing off an upset to avoid BC, right? Because if Merrimack finishes in ninth, and you know whoever finishes in tenth yes. and eleventh, you, you would still you would get BC as or BU whoever that number one seed is.
0: Yeah, assuming there were other upsets. I mean, if you're if you're ten or eleven, you're guaranteed to face BC or BU yeah. in the second round. You're you're because even if eleven wins, even if ten and eleven both win, you're still going to be the second lowest remaining seed so you'd go to either BC or BU but yeah you're right it doesn't guarantee that you would go and face Maine uh but if all the lower seeds won then you would avoid BC or BU at least gives you a chance for it uh whereas if you finish 10 or 11 even if you win in the first round you're guaranteed to face B or BC or BU in the second round it's a foregone conclusion so it at least gives you a chance uh you know it again it would require a little bit uh all all three road teams winning would would be unlikely in the first round of the hockey's playoffs, but in a one-game scenario, what's happened before, and you know, I don't think it's necessarily out of the question, especially with the way the season's gone. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, you look at it, and and who do you want to face in the first round? Really, from a first-round standpoint, I don't know that there's much of a difference from the teams that they could play. If you finish ninth and Vermont finishes eighth or UConn finishes eighth, I think that's probably your easiest road. Avoiding UNH and Northeastern uh, is is what you'd like to do in that first round. Uh, But at the same time, like, I don't know. You're on the road either way. I don't think there's a big difference between any of those schools, Uh, even Northeastern. Northeastern's playing well right now. Uh, They've had some ups and downs over the course of this year. Who knows what they're going to look like two weeks from now. Uh, yes, they've looked. They already good beat them once
1: there at the start of the season. Exactly. Yeah,
0: and and they, you know, Lowell just beat them a couple of weeks ago. So it's like you know, it's not like they're invincible by any stretch. They had a good couple of weeks, but anyone sitting here, I think, going, "Oh man, I don't, I can't face Northeastern." That that's you know, no, I come on. They they were really struggling up until really the Beanpot. I uh, had a good five six game stretch, and and like I said, Lowell beat them two weeks ago. So it's not like they're insurmountable. Uh, none of those teams in that six seven eight range are. But if you could avoid Northeast, I mean, I think Northeastern and UNH are are the two best teams in that bunch. You want to try to avoid them if you can. That helps. Uh, And then, you know, we'll go from there. But wrapping things up, uh, that's kind of where things stand. Ian, uh, I know now we went from a not very busy weekend to a busy weekend. So where will people hear you this weekend?
1: I'm um, just actually, believe it or not, just Friday night. Um, oh, that's right. Basketball's game, on the road. <laughs> basketball's on the road this weekend. So uh, just Friday night at home against uh, Providence for the men. Also, shout out to the women's team. They'll be heading out to the road to up to the Alphonse to take on UMaine in the first round of the women's hockey's playoffs. So good luck to them. And uh, if they are tuning into this post, uh, post,
0: I hope, uh, hope things went well. Yes, it'll be a busy weekend. I'll be uh, in Providence on Thursday, uh, back That's at Lawler and set on Friday, and then uh, Saturday, probably keeping an eye on five, six games at once and uh, back at home. So, uh, Ian, thanks for the time as always. We will catch up next week, uh, and we'll be back in just a second. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it.
2: No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty. There's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of twig are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce, Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Selly. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey, we speak your language.
1: I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey.
2: I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I play college hockey. I'm Johnny Goodrill and I play college hockey.
0: Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey.
1: For more information, visit
0: collegehockeyinc.com. All right, Merrimack getting set to take on Providence. Uh, Coming up this weekend, a Thursday-Friday series. Not a ton of those out there, but uh, uh, Thursday down at Providence, Friday back up at Merrimack. And uh, we have the head coach of the Warriors, Scott Work with us. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Uh, No, great. Really appreciate it. You guys, um, coming off the bye week, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago up in Vermont and had a week uh, to recollect things. I know with with some guys that were banged up, uh, maybe that – was a good thing a blessing in disguise trying to get some guys back um, what does what the situation health wise look like I mean obviously I, I know last time we talked uh, there was an assumption that Felton was going to be out for a while we already know about Brown and Young uh, Welcher was one uh, that was it sounded like it was close against Vermont but uh, now maybe with the bye week a little bit closer
2: yeah I know the on the health front you know just it's an interesting we're just changing names to some different things but um you know, we have Mac back, which is really important piece to our puzzle. He's just such a positive impact in the room, um, and actually a positive impact on the ice as well. But, you know, him being back is a big get for us. Um, you know, he to the list of nicked-up guys that won't be with us. So it's just – it's uh, still a list, and it's just different names on it. But um, – you know, happy to have Mac back, and disappointed not to have the other guys.
0: Well, yeah, Mac brings a lot of stuff. Not only offensively, uh, with 11 points in 26 games, but he he kind of brings all that stuff away from the puck too. Like that that area of his game is as good, if not better, than the areas of his game with the puck's on the stick. It seems like.
2: Yeah, no, he's he. Ever since he's gotten here, he's been that guy that kind of stirred the drink. Uh, his efforts always high on the puck. His efforts high off of the puck. He pays attention to the details of the game, and and I think he helps us in so many different ways. You know, end of period faceoffs, uh, certainly five on six, six on five, penalty kill, uh, and this year he's playing some power play as well. So uh, that's a big get back for us. We're excited to have him back, and I think he's going to have a great weekend.
0: Uh, ben Brar tied the program record for gameplay games played in the second game at Vermont. Uh, it's uh, a couple of Saturdays ago. Uh, Thursday night he'll be the new all-time leader in games played uh, with 152 games. He'll pass uh, Mark Biega, defenseman, uh, who who set that mark about, uh, about a decade ago. I think it was 2014 when he graduated. Um, obviously, he, he's meant a ton to the program, but uh, if you could just – Talk a little bit about the importance of him, both you know, on the ice as a player, but also what he's brought behind the scenes, uh, and obviously, you know, that that longevity to, to be able to say you've played the most games. Obviously, the fifth year helps that, but still, one hundred and fifty something college games. There's not many players that are going to hit that number over the course of their career.
2: No, and, and he's, um, you know, Benny has been such a important piece to the development of the program uh, right from the day he got here. Uh, he's played in every situation, you know, on the ice. He's been important since the day he got here. Uh, and as he grew at, at Merrimack and, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to use the word mature because he arrived as a really mature human and a really mature player. But just as he got more comfortable in his surroundings and settings, you know, he added to the whole community. You know, he's, he's basically a straight A student. He's now got his uh, getting his second master's at Merrimack. Um, he just has done a lot of things really really well not only for himself but for our program and i can't say enough about him and i, I have said this probably for a couple of years i just think he's vastly underrated in hockey east uh, his effort is is really high his brain is really good um you know he's not the guy who's gonna go coast to coast and and light it up like that but uh you know every shift every play is going to be something I think he's going to contribute to just because of his intelligence and his approach. So we, we certainly, when he does move forward, we're going to miss him quite a bit, but I think he'll be successful at the next level as well because of those things.
0: It's funny, I know we've talked about it before, maybe a little he's, he's even been frustrated with uh, you know, the goals is so he's got five goals in the season. But I noticed something today, and some people don't pay attention to these, you know, advanced analytical stats. Some people do. Uh, expected goals in the year for him, 12. You know, he's only got, only ended up with five. His expected goal total is 12. And I think that just goes to show that, like, hey, sometimes guys get a little unlucky or goalies make big saves on them or whatever, but uh, he's he's put himself in position to, to have 12 goals in the year. And it doesn't always work out that way, but still, it's not like he's uh, – you know it's not like it's been a poor year i'm sure i'm sure he's disappointed in in the the offensive totals but uh you know it's still it's, it's not like he's playing poorly he's played the way he's always played and was on pace to to be you know double digit goals yet again this year
2: yeah and i think for him um, you know that's what's really evident to me and should be evident to people who are watching him if, if they're looking at him for the future you know is is the things he does without putting points on the board you know um he's able to impact the game. He's able to impact your team in so many different ways that, you know, scoring is just one of them. And, you know, he's had some situations. I, I try to remember the last home game here that we had success and, you know, he didn't score. He, you know, goalie made an unbelievable save on him later in the same game and it used, you know, point blank net front by himself. And they had a player dive across the crease that made a save. Um, And it just, you know, just just something that doesn't happen very often, but seems to be happening to him quite a bit. Uh, So I know he's been frustrated with that. He wants to to do better on the point sheet because he knows it will help our team do better. Um, But I also think that he's uh, dealt with it in a way that's allowed the rest of his game to contribute a lot.
0: Uh, Hugo Wallace, he started three straight, or has started three straight games, uh, has looked good, I thought, in those games too, even uh, in the Saturday game up at Vermont, uh, made 25 saves. Uh, What have you seen from him over this stretch where he's been able to put some some games together here? Obviously, you're still in a situation over the course of the year where the goalies were not in a exact rotation but still both seeing significance amount of, a significant amount of time and then uh, really over the the second half of the month here he's he's kind of taken over and uh, has been able to put together some consistent consistent efforts here for you
2: yeah i know he's been i think he's been good uh really solid and i think there's, a, there's another level for his game in there um and i'm hoping we see it this weekend but you know, it's the first time he's played these games in a row in a long time uh, I think he's done really well. He put us in a position to win both those games at Vermont. You we know, obviously only got one, um, but he gave us a chance. and That's all we can ask from him. That's what we're going to ask again tomorrow night and Friday night. How
0: would you guys approach the, the bye week? I mean, especially, it's kind of a weird time of the year to have it. Uh, it's not like it's coming in you know, January or, or, or a little bit earlier, even in February, uh, where it is so late in the year. Did you approach this bye week differently than in maybe you would have had otherwise in some other seasons and especially even with the, you know, the health situation you guys have been in, did you approach this, this off week, this bye week differently than you have in the past?
2: We did. And it was not about the timing of it. It was because of the health of our team. You know, I, it was a great opportunity for us to give the team, you know, back-to-back days off. Um, I always think when you do that, when you stack days off, they, they'd more, you know, they bounce back more. Um, and I thought that, you know, we gave them Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, and then went after it on the week, uh, rest of the week, and it allowed us to have a really good week of practice. Uh, but I also, I think it, it refreshed a lot of guys. So I'm I'm really excited. You know, like most teams this time of year, we have a little sickness, little things we just trying to grind through. But those days off, I think, gave us an opportunity to energize and really put our team in a pretty good spot.
0: I know, too, I mean, I'm sure you guys aren't in the standings where you'd like to be, but is there also kind of a sense that, hey, you got three games left here, two this weekend, one next weekend, uh, then it's on to the playoffs, and and really to get back to where you were last year, to get back to the Garden with the new format, it's really – Two wins. I mean, it's, it's two wins is all you need. I mean, yeah, you're gonna you may have to go on the road to get them, but two wins is all you need. It's not like you got to win two best out of three series or anything like that. It's two games, and it in the way that the schedule is played this year, both your schedule and just over the course of the league, uh, you know, I'd say pretty much anybody one to eleven can beat anybody else uh, in, in a one game scenario because we've seen that over the course of the year. So uh, with that playoff format, the the way that it is now, even though you guys aren't where you'd like to be in the standings, there's, there's still a sense of you know we're just. We're, we're one hockey game away from from advancing I mean that's just the way the the, the new format is now
2: hundred percent like I, I feel like i mean I remember last year we were obviously a much better position, and uh we we you know had to got to buy and here we are getting excited to play and who we have to play we have to play b c you know and I, I was like, oh that's not really what i wanted to do <laughs> uh to get into the garden We have to play BC a a third time and try to win a third game um but what was the great thing about it was because of the nature of the playoffs even though it was school break uh the excitement level at the rank was unbelievable uh tremendous atmosphere and i think that was a way across the entire playoff structure last year and i just think that's really healthy for really healthy for the game i think it's really healthy for our league um makes it exciting for the fans i know some people are argue well you want to get the best teams through, yeah you do but you know, you, you you get home ice, you get a buy, you get a, like we've got a week off before playing BC. They had to play someone, they had to play a high intensity game. Uh, leading to our game, so I, I'm I'm excited for that next run. And yeah, we have to go on the road, but so be it. We'll do that and win two games, and we're back in the garden, and things are things are really good. Things, the world looks a lot differently if we get ourselves there.
0: Yeah, and a perfect example of that too is. You know, like you said, that game was in double overtime. So, I mean, a bounce of a puck goes a different way in that game, and, and BC's going to the garden with two wins on the road. I mean, that's it's the margin in these one-game series, I would think, the margin is not even a series. In the one-game situation, uh, the, the margin's very close. <laughs> you know, your goalie gets hot in one game, and, and a goalie can steal a game by himself. We've seen that happen, too, uh, you know, a bunch of times, of course.
2: Well, and that's the thing in our league. Like, not only I – think, I think one through 11 is – one play 11 will be a tough match if that ever gets to that point. Uh, it's going to be a great playoff in Hockey this year. But we also have a league that has several, you know, what I would consider All-American candidates in goal. And we have as many of, that, of those goalies that can literally win a game. It, it changes the approach of the team. It changes the confidence level of the team. But in those situations, our team's showing us a lot of confidence in our goaltending. So I, I think anything's possible, and we just want to get better these last three games and put ourselves in the best position to play that Wednesday night on the road and, and play our best game of the season.
0: Uh, first time you guys will, will see Providence this year is coming up tomorrow. Uh, what have you seen from them? What do you feel like, from from your standpoint, needs to be at its best to, to go in there and compete against the Friars?
2: Uh, exactly that. Actually, our competitive level has to be extremely high. Um, you know, they um, they're a very talented team, as talented as anyone in our league. Um, but I also think they're a team that works as hard as anyone else in our league. And that that's what makes them a challenge this year is that they're talented for sure, like some other teams in our league. But their work ethic and it's, it's not as much what they do, it's how they do. Obviously, I have some exposure to that myself and being there, but I think it's uh, as as, and as strong a team in the structure as any team in our league. And that uh, that poses a problem if your team's not ready to compete.
0: All right, Coach, well, best of luck this weekend. We'll talk again next week, uh, right before the, the regular season finale is a week from now. So we'll talk again next week, With best of luck this weekend.
2: Yeah, that's great. Uh, looking forward to it. We'll see you uh, in the rank this weekend.